Hey, Vetfolio Voice listeners, welcome back. This episode formed a bit spontaneously and was a lot of fun to make. The amazing Dr. Dana Varble joined us in the Vetfolio studios, and we, of course, could not resist roping her into an episode. If you've listened to the show, you've probably heard Dr. Varble on previous episodes, often in these spontaneous, longer-form discussions on various topics related to the state of veterinary medicine. She brings a lot of insight, and of course, we always have a great time. For this episode, we decided to break down her recent article in today's veterinary practice called We Are Treating Burnout All Wrong. Personally, I find the discussion around burnout and wellness fascinating, just kind of listening and taking into account all of the different perspectives, all of the different experiences, and I felt like Dr. Varble's article just really spoke to me when I read it. For anyone who feels the same, be sure to check out Dr. Varble's regular column in today's veterinary practice called The Secret Life of Vets. She's a gifted writer, and she's written some very, in my opinion, spot-on pieces that I've carried with me in and out of day-to-day practice. Dana Varble received her bachelor's in zoology from Southern Illinois University in 1999, graduating summa cum laude with departmental and university honors. She earned her veterinary degree with high honors from the University of Illinois in 2003, where she pursued a non-traditional clinical rotation schedule and fulfilled her clinical and academic requirements at the University of Illinois, the University of Tennessee, Louisiana State University, Brookfield Zoo, and the University of Pretoria. She's practiced clinical medicine in exotic pet, small animal general practice, and emergency medicine, and continues to serve as an associate veterinarian on a limited basis for Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital in Skokie, Illinois, and as a relief veterinarian for emergency services. She's served as veterinary consultant to the Mississippi River Sturgeon Project and Central Arizona Animal Rescue. She's spoken locally, nationally, and internationally at conferences and seminars on herpetological and exotic animal medicine and surgery, and has written several publications in that same field. Her interests are varied, but include organized veterinary medicine, learning methodology, venomous bites and stings and antivenin development, herpetological medicine and surgery, working canines, soft tissue surgery, and improving job satisfaction for all veterinary health team members. She joined the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians in 2003, served on the board of directors from 2008 to 2014, and was president of the ARAV from 2012 to 2013. She continues to serve as the managing editor of the Journal of Herpetological Medicine and Surgery for ARAV. She's also a member of the American Veterinary Medical Association and Association of Exotic Mammal Veterinarians. In January of 2015, she joined NAVC as the Executive Director of ARAV and progressed to the Executive Director of Pet Nutrition Alliance and Senior Director of Hands-On Workshops in October of 2017. In October of 2018, she was promoted to Vice President of Veterinary Education, and in January of 2020, she was named Chief Veterinary Officer. In 2021, she earned her Certified Association Executive designation from the American Society of Association Executives. As an NAVC spokesperson and veterinary industry expert, she promotes public health and veterinary practices to industry and external audiences through media interviews and appearances in international, national, local, and trade media. She shares her home with a mixed up brown dog named Hannah, a Leonberger named Cody, 
a tank of cichlids, four ball pythons named Phil, Jake, Hickok, and Saffron, and a domestic human and his kiddos, Patrick, Lexi, and PJ. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Okay, so for this episode, I am once again joined by the amazing Dr. Dana Varble. So Dana, you're down in Florida, so of I course am. we have to steal you and record your voice. Thank you. Happy, so happy to be here. Yeah, Happy to be back on the pod. Absolutely. And down in the humid weather. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's December. Just so you guys know, we're recording this in December yes. and it is over 80 degrees. Yeah, I had to come inside earlier because I was sweating. Yes. So, bad. I, know. I have bad. feelings about it too. Like I enjoy the warm weather, but I wouldn't mind like a little cooler weather right now. It's a lot. I would like it to be what it is where I'm from. What is it? Like 30 degrees. 30s. 30s-ish, give or take. Is there snow? There was snow. There's not snow right now. Okay. If there's no. snow, I feel like I would be okay. Yeah. When there's snow, it's nicer. Yeah. I agree. It's pretty. Well, so. believe it or not, this is not what we came here to talk about. <laughs> Although, you know, now you all have our commentary on the weather and our, our feelings about that. Dana, what I wanted to talk to you about, she doesn't know this, guys. We Uh-oh. didn't tell her beforehand what oh, we were going to talk about. Oh, God. Here we go. Um, but I was, you know, I was thinking about this when I heard you were coming. And I love your articles that you write oh, for TVP. And you wrote one about we're treating burnout all wrong. And oh, I that was one of my it. favorite ones. It yeah. It, Thank I, you. I love the remote analogy. It was great. And I really want to talk about this because I think this is an interesting conversation that I'm hearing a lot in vet med right now. And I'm trying to just like listen and absorb right now. So I was really interested when I was like, oh, Dana wrote an article about this. This is great because I think the conversation around burnout is I, I've heard it changing recently. It does seem to be. It seems to be picking up a little bit. And it's we're what we've realized, especially in the last year, and there's a lot of good actual real statistics and science out there that show this is real and true, that the risks for burnout are less about the individual and more about the environment that they're placed in. That makes sense. So it does. And if you think about like the professions that are most likely to have burnout, it is, you know, the high stress, high responsibility profession. So being a doctor, being a dentist, being a veterinarian, being a veterinary technician, being a nurse, working in ER versus general practice in all those, you know, not just for veterinarians, but in certain fields. Just these high touch, yes. high stress fields. Yeah. I think that's where I've heard the conversation change is, and this is my perception <laughs> of what I'm hearing. So nobody come after me if you feel like I'm getting this wrong. But this is where I feel like I've heard the conversation change. And it shifted a little bit more towards part of this is the reality of the profession. Like uh, yeah. there's a large part of this that isn't going to change. And so how do we function both as as veterinarians or, or dentists or doctors or, yeah. or, or technicians, you know, whoever you are in, in these types of fields. Um, and then also as leadership yeah. to help create an environment that supports well-being and helps people be able to stay in this career for the long term and not burn out and deal with some of these wellness issues. Well, you know, what's interesting is what inspired that particular article is I do like to take a more of a one health perspective approach to even veterinarians. So it is really interesting sometimes to see what is going on outside of veterinary medicine that might apply to us. And, you know, I think we've talked about this, like, you know, we love to label human medicine as the gold standard, but I think as far as this goes, sometimes it's actually kind of cool because they're 
they have as many issues. This is true. Have, have screwed this like up. I love the phrase. Too. They have screwed this up as bad as we have, guys. <laughs> They've done it, unfortunately. But there's also it, it's interesting. So I was actually on a a webinar that someone was giving for health professionals. And it didn't specifically talk to veterinarians, but it talked about burnout and what's happening with burnout and how they really had been able to do a lot of studies and show that things like a systemic approach to burnout is more successful than an individual, you know, just treating individuals burnout. Okay. Because there is some really interesting, again, interesting statistics, interesting studies out there that show that once an individual in a profession has been, has experienced burnout, sort of like heat stroke. Um, if you've been burned out, you're more likely to burn out again. Sure. So it's kind of the same thing, which is interesting because then treating the individual, just from that perspective, treating the individual is less successful. Yeah, because then you put them right back into the same environment exactly. and they're it, already pr- more prone to exactly. burnout. Yeah. And you might give them coping skills. And I do think coping skills and boundary setting and individual education is still really important. Mm -hmm. But when I look back, I'm like, we've been teaching individuals to like avoid burnout for a long time. And unfortunately, no. How's that going for (laughs) us? How's (laughs) how's that working out? How's that working out? You know, and I think everyone sees that, right? Like, okay, we've been trying this and no one's getting better. Well, And it makes sense, like on the individual level to say like, okay, well, it's your job to set boundaries and it's your job to have these coping skills and do all of that. And, and all of that is true. Like it you, is. we do have to take charge. We do have to set our own boundaries and, and things like this. But if you're constantly in an environment where you're having to say no, and you're having to set a boundary and you're having to do this over and over and over again in the same situation, mm-hmm. I mean, that's exhausting. Yeah. So it, it makes sense to say, yes, all of these things are important because you're going to face situations where you're going to have to use these skills, but let's create an environment where you don't have to say no all the time, yeah. where we, you know, we all kind of understand each other's yeah. boundaries and we can work together. And, or if you're feeling pressure, if you're feeling like, oh, I got to stay late or da, 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 or things go bad, right? Like even in the best of environments, patients die that shouldn't. Yeah. Things go wrong. Accidents happen. We're only human. Right. So how, you know, the, the process for responding to those, you know, is that the responsibility of one sure. person or is it time to step back and say, oh gosh, we had a really big accident happen. Is it something in our environment that didn't protect us mm-hmm. from having that accident? Because it's, it's generally, if something bad like that happens, I mean, we're all highly caring, empathetic you yes. know, perfectionist to a fault, <laughs> um, individuals. Yes. And, you know, so nobody is, I should, I mean, I shouldn't say like no situation ever, but I would yeah. say like, you know, the overwhelming majority is not somebody being careless. Generally mm-hmm. there are systems in place that have failed in one way or another. Yeah. And there were a number of, of circumstances that led up to a mistake or, or mm-hmm. something bad happening. So like you said, that systemic approach makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's also a little bit about how do we respond when something like that happens. Cause sure. you know, you plan a plan a plan a plan and then something could still happen. Absolutely. So what support is in place to now respond to that on an individual level? And it is really interesting because like, again, human healthcare, paramedics, to some degree, law enforcement, definitely fire response, first responders. A lot of those systems in the human world have started shifting away from 
while they still have things like counselors and therapy and mandated and some of that's mandated, which is interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Which, okay. So they have that support system in place. So that's a sort of a systemic change and it's harder for veterinarians, right? Because still a lot of clinics are small independent clinics. You can't necessarily have like a therapist sitting there right. for when, you know, something dies under anesthesia on Thursday afternoon so that people could talk about their feelings, you sure. know, because on Tuesday afternoon that didn't happen. So you didn't need them there then. But, you right. know, so, yeah. I mean, to some degree that's it, but it's nice to have. Now we're starting to see a shift in a lot of people's insurance, health insurance that individual clinics provide have those types of services, right? those types of responses available, but we're not really good about insisting that employees take advantage of them. Like for example, there's a lot of health insurance companies that have employee assistance programs. If you have insurance through a company, a lot of times that's part of your insurance and you don't even know it. Okay. Yeah. So I think one of the things that is sort of on practice owners or practice managers is to find out if you have an employee assistance program. A lot, a lot of times you do, you don't even realize it, but you have to tell your employees that it's there. Yeah. Okay. So tell yeah. me more about the employee assistant program. Cause I'm not sure if I understand. Yeah. Employee fully. assistance programs are typically things associated with health insurance where employees can get assistance with grief counseling, therapy, finding a therapist, finding, you know, mental health care. So those types of things are something your insurance can actually help with. And knowing that again, cause it's kind of hard for the burden to be on the individual. Oh, I, I need mental health care. Well, that's the worst time yeah. in your, you know, okay. So I just realized I need mental health care. Are you capable of someone who needs mental health care to go out and find mental health care? It's really hard. That's a good point. I it never is. really thought about it's, it. Someone who's struggling, some, they, yeah. you know, energy's low, lots of things could be interfering them. Their head can be full, easily overwhelmed. It could be a really hard time to go find healthcare in that time, but you may actually already have a program to help you find healthcare, get counseling, set up things like retirement plans and estate planning and you know, all those types of things. So employee assistance programs vary. A lot of mm -hmm. healthcare companies already have them. Long story short, find out if you have one. Okay. And if you're in management or ownership, if you find out you do have one, find out what types of services they offer. A lot of times they're at low cost or no cost to your employees. Sometimes some health insurance companies offer it. It's really cool because they can actually offer it to the clinic or the employer. So even if your employee is not using your health insurance, sometimes they can still use your employee assistance program. So you're saying read that big yes. long document from the insurance company and make sure yeah. we understand again, all the parts of if it. If you're in management, make sure that your employees know that they actually have that resource. And a lot of times the other things that that's nice about employee assistance programs is they're often something that the employee can access anonymously. Absolutely. And I'm even yeah. thinking like, you know, this is kind of more of a boots on the ground <laughs> level, but listening to you talk about this, it makes me think of a clinic where they had all this information and it was posted and it was not like an informational poster. It was like, you know, there was like a rainbow in the back. It was beautiful. And it was all posted in the bathroom. Yeah. And I was like, that's the perfect place it for is. it. Like you're alone. You need a minute to yourself. And you're just like, so you oh, I'm not ready bathroom. to go back out there. And there it is. Every veterinary <laughs> professional at some point in their life has cried in the bathroom. Oh, yes. It's not. If you tell me you have it, then I, <laughs> then what closet are you going to to cry in? Because yes, 
It is about the size of a bathroom. It's usually the size of the bathroom. <laughs> it's some place where you go and you can be have a private moment. Yeah. And yeah, that's so that's a really good place to actually post that type of information. So it is something that, again, might already be in place because they were put in place by insurance companies for good reasons. And, and gosh, you know, the world knows insurance isn't always employee friendly. It's not always user friendly, but this may be something that you don't even realize a benefit. You don't even realize you have. So sure. that's something to definitely investigate, but yeah, there's other systems in place too, uh, you know, much less serious things that are super important when you take emergencies, do you take emergencies all day, every day? Right. Do you take unlimited emergencies? And who's making those decisions because that can be kind of a double-edged sword because you can have a, you can say, well, it's up to you. You know, we're going to empower you. Like, do you want to take the emergency or not? And, you know, it's one thing if somebody's calling you on the phone, but somebody walks in the clinic and you're, you know, four cases deep and you've already accepted two emergencies and now you have to draw that boundary and say, no, I'm not going to see. Well, that's kind of a hard thing to do. It is. So so. like you said, thinking about things ahead of time and having a plan in place. Exactly. Actually, policies. Yeah. It's crazy, but, you know, most clinics don't take the time, and I understand why, trust me, to write (laughs) to have policies in place on how to deal with those types of things. Mm-hmm. And then again, do your employees actually know the policies? Right. Do you know you don't take emergencies after 530? Do you right. know, or, you know, do you know we only can take five drop-ins a day? Mm-hmm. Because if, if you like, we did all that, it's so good. And then you put them in a book and you put it on that shelf up. Usually it's usually it's right next to the lab reference manuals. Yes. That get used all yep. day. <laughs> and, and behind the OSHA book that you're yeah. like, I, I don't even know. I have certainly all the read cover to yeah. cover multiple cover times. Cover <laughs> and all your material data handling sheets that you're like, I don't even know if we keep. I don't think they're things. MSCS sheets anymore. I think they're just SDS oh, sheets Oh, there now. you go. See? See, I did There you the go. Book. You know some things. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, they're all up there, right? They're on that shelf. And it's yes. usually a he- shelf that's sort of high that you don't reach for all that often. So people like you and me just have First, no chance yeah, of ever none, accessing none, the policy. Yes. So, but policy should help create a better system for your employees. And and if you're an employee in a system that where there are no policies, I mean, feel free to ask why not. I mean, yeah, and help can we have them. some rules in place to help us all work together? They're really... If you look at policies as a communication tool, a tool that allows everybody to be on the same page, they can actually be really, really useful. You know, like it's great to have an employee sick day policy. Great. Wonderful. But what's that even? Yeah. How does it all work? Do you feel pressure to come into work when you're sick and contagious? Or is there actually a policy in place that you're not not supposed to to come in? We don't want you here. Keep your germs to yourself. I'm like... Learning the importance of policies, and I love that we're having this conversation because, you know, as a business owner, and it's just me, myself, and I, so, you know, my (laughs) policy is different on Monday and Tuesday, depending on what's going on. But I have thought about this in terms Mm -hmm. of like, you know, well, man, it would be really nice if I could have somebody answer my phones or, you know, do, Mm -hmm. you know, different employee aspects. But aside from the financial 
part of it, I'm going, man, if that were to ever happen, like, it's not really fair to somebody to bring them in and say, like, just do what I do and, like, figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Because, like, what do I do? I don't even know what yeah. I do. So yeah. learning to write those things down and put policies in place because I have a certain way that I like to interact with my clients. I have a certain way that I like to manage such and such and, and do all of this. And so I'm as I've turned this over in my head and gone, man, there's really a lot like you said, you understand yeah. why people don't make these policies because it's really time consuming. There's it a is. lot of details. It you have is. to keep so many variables in mind. Yeah. But it's still important. It is. Well, and you know, again, it sets up this b- better system for your employees. It sets the ground rules for, you know, boundaries already being in place. Right. It can, do you have a three strikes policy with, with clients that aren't, that you don't have a good relationship with? I mean, I have like a one strike policy. Some, <laughs> hey, sometimes a one strike policy is appropriate. Yeah, there's those days where you're like, hmm, buddy, you're on thin ice here. Yeah, no, you're done. I'm done with you. You're but done. No, but yeah. you're right. Like like setting those boundaries in place. And I think that also keeps it from changing from client to client, from mm-hmm. changing from employee to employee, doctor well, to doctor, like whatever you it is. said, Tuesday and Monday. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Monday, know, I felt good. I can see a lot more. Tuesday, I don't feel good. Leave I'm me alone. Tired. I'm tired. I, I wore myself I'm, out. Yeah. Monday. Stop yeah. calling me. Well, and again, you know, it, it is interesting to think about that stuff, even at the early stages of a business that you're in, where it's like, oh, actually, it might be time for me to write down the things that I like, that I want to continue to do. Mm-hmm. And it even might be a good time to be like, this is not working out. Hey, yes. This is a bad, I don't have a policy for this. And it is a source of stress for me. It's bad. That was, yeah, I was gonna say perhaps even more importantly, like mm-hmm. things that you don't like and finding ways to create that culture that you're looking for. Well, yeah, because it, it does, you don't even realize that your policies create your culture in some ways. Right. I mean, people do, personalities do, the degree of personal interaction does and all of that, but your policies create your culture of mm-hmm. what you will stand for and what you won't stand for. Right. You know, and then, you know, there's, there's other aspects to that too. Not everyone fits into the same system. Right. You know, and that's, I think, really interesting too. If, if you burn out in one system, if you burn out at one clinic, it might just be that clinic. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be a veterinarian. Exactly. It's just not been a, you and I both had that experience <laughs> yes. where he said, well, you know, and, and we found out the hard way that yeah. that wasn't the system. Well, and I, I mean, I think unfortunately some of that is inevitable. Like if you're, again, if you're at a clinic and you're like, ah, I don't like, that they do this. I don't like that they allow this to happen. I don't like the way this is treated. I don't like the way certain patients are handled or certain procedures are handled or the way they schedule appointments. Again, that's just not your, it's not your fit. Somebody else might go in there and love it. It's something that it seems dumb, but comes to mind every time. I was talking with some friends of mine. We're all veterinarians. We see between, I think there were three of us, we literally have three different preferred scheduling lengths for appointments. So I, I know one, one of my friends is like, dude, 20 minutes. I don't need more than 20 minutes. I hate more than 20 minutes. I don't want the chit chat. I want to get, I want to get down to business. Yeah. We're going to fix something and we're done. She's like my text can handle the chit chat. It's and it good. It's good. So yeah. she has every 20 minute appointments. It is her preferred system. I work in exotics. <laughs> I have hour long appointments. Yeah. Every single appointment is one hour. I've thought, you know, we've, we've played with the idea of shifting to 45 minutes or 40 minutes. To be honest, I think we'd be behind before 
it'd be like day one behind talking to somebody who worked works in the south and like i need i need the chit chat like the appointment <laughs> didn't happen if the chit chat like didn't i need happen. to know you know yeah. how your kid did at the baseball game yeah. and and then and the third one of us his 30 minute appointments has no plan on changing that they work out great for her so you know it, it's really interesting i think some of us would fail in a 20 minute appointment system that would succeed in a hour-long appointment system sure. and vice versa yeah. some people in an hour would be like no 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 i uh, oh, I, I can't fill up that hour i'm with you like uh, i love hour appointments <laughs> i get so behind because i'm chatting yeah. with people well and I'll, I'll, a lot of you know please try and get bird x-rays done in sub under an hour like it just doesn't happen i'm so impressed there's probably people out there right now who are like dana I can do a bird appointment in 20 minutes. No problem. And I'm going to be like, you are impressive. I love it. Love where you're at. Good for you. I just can't. We can't do it. So that's where we're at, you know? So I think that's important to think about that if you don't thrive in a certain system, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there's something wrong with the system. There may be, but there may not be. Yeah. It definitely doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It might just be that's not the system that you're meant to be. And that's you. what you talked yeah. about in your article here yeah. where you said, you know, it just, I, I didn't fit into that system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think it is really interesting because burnout discussion, it's not super new for through vet med as a whole. But I think when you, when you talk to ER veterinarians, they've been talking about people burn out in ER quickly. And we know there are a lot of reasons for that. And some people don't burn out in ER, though. There are people who don't burn out in ER. Yeah, and they they're, thrive. They're rare, wonderful unicorns, and they, I love yes. them. But they're for the most part, ER is you know very high stress. They usually have a great sense of humor. They do. <laughs> they do. I love those people. Yes, I love me those too. people. They're usually also really good about being strict with their schedule. Like, oh, I only work this many shifts in this time period, and I never work extra. Period. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. Those of us in ER who are like, yeah, I can take an extra shift. I can take four extra shifts. That's oh, true. I can work extra hours. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> not when you worked 60 hours and they were yeah, all overnight. Exactly. And-, and it was crazy and you're not sleeping well and all that fun stuff. So it is really interesting to think about like ER as, as a particular example of potentially a system where a lot of people burn out and some people thrive. Some people won't. Exactly. So, and it's not a new thing for them. Like I said, I think ER has been. They're like, yeah, guys. They're like, yeah, duh. <laughs> you mean people burn out? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> what do you think is behind the the discussion of burnout that we've seen over the last however long? We've, we've been talking about this, you know, quite a while at this point, so several years. What do you think is driving that conversation. Is this something that's always been there and we're just now talking about it or have things has something changed? Have things gotten worse? I mean, I think the pandemic, everyone would agree that the pandemic through this, you know, kind of lit a torch agree, to this. But I, th- I think this conversation was happening prior I, yes. to the pandemic. No, I think I, I agree. Yeah, it was, it was a slow simmer. It was, yeah. Someone turned the oven up all the way or just turned the stove up all the way, <laughs> rather. Much. But yeah, it, it's a slow, it's been a slow simmer for a long time. And now, you know, it's a, it's a bigger discussion. But I also think there's been some, some interesting research done even more recently that helped us make the shift from this is an individual problem and individuals need to protect themselves from it to, a why is it all individuals in certain systems seem to succeed 
and are not the picture of burnout and other systems seem to have a much higher rate of burnout. And that became, I think, a little more apparent. And I, and again, I don't think this was just vet med related because right. you start to see, oh, like they're, they're seeing this in human medicine too, where if you're in a hospital system that has more strict boundaries on scheduling, more availability of employee assistance, more availability of mental health care and other things, their rate of burnout was so much lower than systems that didn't have those protections in place. So then it became... Well, now it's not just individuals. We start to see trends and certain individuals. Yes, there are risks for burnout in individuals. Here's the problem with that. The four biggest risk factors for burnout in individuals. This has been reported in a couple of places. I, most of you can probably see where this is going. <laughs> high performing individuals. So individuals who get high grades, success in especially academic success, but academic success. So high performance. High empathy. Yeah. Okay. So check. That every veterinarian yep. ever. Perfectionist. Oh my gosh. And the last one is people pleaser. Oh my gosh. I, so, like, I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> it's not just, so I'm like, so every veterinarian ever. Cool. Okay. Cool, cool. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, most veterinarians have some degree of all four of those things. Sure. And that's where kind of taking that individual responsibility and saying, you know, I, I understand yeah. who I am and I need to make sure and keep boundaries in place sure. to keep me healthy Take, and yeah. taking that personal responsibility. But then also understanding you have a, a <laughs> field full of these people. Yeah. Like we're going to have to find some yeah. way to so make again, it again, that's running. why there, there will always be a place for resiliency training and boundary mm -hmm. setting and all those things for individuals too, because I don't see a time when veterinarians aren't, you know, high performing people. Right. Like, I don't really want to see that. No, time. right. <laughs> like we don't, we, we don't need to screen that out at vet no. school stages. Also not going to be the low empathy people in general. No. And again, there's, I certainly met individual veterinarians who are, and it's not an insult. It comes off as an insult, but lower empathy. You know, they, yeah. they are a little bit better at compartmentalizing. They're a little bit better about, oh, these are your emotions. They're not my emotions. Mm -hmm. I'm don't, I'm cool with that. Um, but for the most part, pr pretty high empathy P people who aren't highly people pleasing, who are like, yeah, you don't like me. I'm cool with that. Right. Great. Bye. Which I think happens a little bit to all of us as it, we go on you, in our career. We're like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm tired and flows <laughs> on that one. But, you know, for the most part, most veterinarians are like, oh my God, he doesn't like me. Why doesn't he like me? I'm Why? used to being Why? adored. I like to be likes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, again, that that's a skill that <laughs> I'm not good at, but you know, here's hoping. So again, to a degree, those are all really good traits too for veterinarians. So we're never going to eliminate those things. It's just a matter of teaching people, okay, you are highly empathetic. Maybe you're not the person who should work in emergency or maybe, sure. maybe something like, you know, one of maybe euthanasia services are always going to be hard on you. Right. And you can't compartmentalize and that's not healthy for you, but you do great in GP where you're managing long-term problems and you can really, you know, talk with other things. So some of those are recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses within those four traits that make you risk. And, and understanding your limitations yeah. and that that's okay. Yeah. That, you, you know, you're not built for ER. You're not built for home euthanasia, whatever it may be. 
that doesn't mean you're not built for vet med. Like yeah. that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us as veterinarians. This, this field no. is huge and it's grown. I, I think of when I first got in the field, where it was then and where it is now and just the change you know, because I'm so young that has, has happened so quickly. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, in, in, like in a, six months. Well, yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. That was, um, I've been in the field for longer than six months for the yes, to clarify. <laughs> yes. Yes. We have both, uh, we, we, yeah, tad more than that, but for it to change that much, just in the span of my career, mm-hmm. it, th- this field is huge. So to understand that it's not a personal failure to say, I don't thrive in this environment. I'm not built for this kind of medicine. And I think most of us know that on some, some level, yeah. but it's hard to, hard to remember that when you're burnout. You know, one of the things I'm doing very soon is, is talking to vet students and talking about first jobs and mm-hmm. talking about looking for systems that they are more likely to succeed in. But also the other thing, a big part of what I'm going to be telling them is you're going to find that some of these systems don't fit you Mm -hmm. and you're going to feel like you failed and it's not a failure. It's really not. It's like, Oh, well, you know what? This is not a, we'll just use this as an example. This is a bad GP for me. This doesn't work out for me because they like to do these three things. And I don't like those. I don't like those systems. Those systems don't work for me. They stress Mm -hmm. me out. They upset me. They, you know, I don't like the way that's run. I want to do this. I want to be more hands-on with this and more distance from that. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And you begin to build throughout your career, this set of expect cultural expectations within your job of things you like and things you don't like things you can tolerate. Sure. Maybe you don't, maybe you're sort of neutral with them, you know, whatever. I don't like it when clients are treated like this. I don't like it when we don't do handouts. I do like it when we do handouts. But I think that's one of the things that experience builds for you is this this list of, again, these expectations. You're setting yourself up for success. I think I've yeah. told this story on the podcast before where I was at I was at VMX, actually. Yeah. I, was, I was just a, a baby in the field of vet med. <laughs> it was long before I went to vet school. I was talking to, I think it was a behaviorist or, or something, and I was like, my dog keeps getting into the garbage. And I, you know, I've like, I've told him no. And I've, I've done all these, yeah. like I, you know, put this thing in front of the garbage can and, you know, I got a different lid and I did all this and he's still getting into the garbage. That was my question. It was, how do I stop my dog from getting into the garbage? And she's like, can you just put the garbage can in a closet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. yes. And she was like, well, then it's not then about treating him yeah. to not get into the garbage. Yeah. It's about setting him up for success. Like remove the temptation. Fixing the system. Yeah. And so, he succeeds in a different system. Exactly. Yeah. So finding that, setting yourself up for success. And there is, you know, yep. simple things that you don't have to force yourself, if you know, this round peg into the square hole. And, you know, you can find the right fit for you. Yeah, that poor dog. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a little thing. Uh, I remember telling me some someone telling me this story once. It's a kind of an interesting analogy, very similar. You know, let's say you have two entities and they both want an orange, but you only have one orange. So person A wants an orange and person B wants an orange. And neither of them will want half an orange, but they want a whole orange. But what do you do? So how, I mean, how do you begin to solve that problem? Right. Well, okay. So you only have one orange. You can't get another one what do you do? Well, what if you talk to him more and ask, what is it about the orange that you need? Well, what if person A just needs the peel and person B just needs the juice? Do you have a problem or did, did you just need more information? Sure. You know, so sometimes it's just a matter of looking at your systems very differently than you already are. 
and I hate when people are like, well, we've always done it this way. Oh, gosh. Peppy, right? Peppy, huge. We've always done it this way. And and I've been guilty of it myself of like, well, I've always treated it this (laughs) way. It'll be fine. Yes, exactly. I can't cope right now. I can't do all the thinking. (laughs) But, you know, you have to set time aside in your career to ask yourself why and rethink things and rethink your needs. You know, you say, oh, I have to have this drug on the shelf and I can't practice. My question to you is, well, why? What is it that makes that impossible for you? Is it just, is it a stopgap? Is it, is, do you really need it? And sometimes the answer is, yeah, I really need it. But sometimes it's, well, I need it because I like it for this reason. I need it because it's in liquid format, not in a pill. I need it. Is there another solution? So sometimes when you're looking at these systems and feeling like you're up against a wall, it's actually just a matter of asking yourself why you need it that way. Well, this comes from a a leadership perspective too. Mm -hmm. When you're talking to employees and you say, well, our policy says this, hoping you have a policy (laughs) that is accessible to short people. Maybe you need Uh, a policy. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. But if you say, you know, our policy says this and you're asking me for that. Yeah. And so therefore you don't fit into the system. Well, why is it that they need something different from the policy? What is it that you need that's different and how can we make your needs and the policy fit together? Or maybe the policy's wrong. Or maybe the policy's wrong. Maybe Why do you need that? That's how we've always done it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's I it's an evolving conversation and it's yeah. really interesting to listen to the data about, you know, people who've burned out before being more prone to it and the importance of um, looking at it from an individual standpoint as well as a a, a structural and procedural standpoint. So, I I look forward to just seeing where this crazy field goes it's changed so much in the all right I'll say it what was it 20 oh gosh 20 years yeah it's changed a lot in the last 20 years it has yeah so yeah I'm just I have no idea where we're gonna be 20 years from now I don't know either it's it's really interesting to think about though yeah. for sure well, thanks for coming on and talking oh my gosh, to me about all of this. <laughs> thanks for reading my article. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if anyone reads this. It was a really good article. Oh, and for anybody who you. wants to reference it, it's in today's veterinary practice. It's called We Are Treating Burnout All Wrong. And it's from June 15th of 2022. Yeah. So check it out. It's a great article. The column is The Secret Life of Vets. And it's in every today's veterinary practice issue. It sure is. And there's some really good ones. I, I do really enjoy writing the column. I hope people enjoy it. I get some good feedback from from various people. So I appreciate Cassie even reading the column and enjoying it. They're very short. This is what I always tell people. I'm Mm -hmm. like, look, attention span, not my thing. So they're very short, little tidbits, usually on interesting parts of our profession that I wanted to share my experiences on. They are. are. They're really good. There's a lot of really good stuff there. And yes, I definitely read them. I think they're awesome. Goodness. Well, Dana, this has been fantastic as a surprise to no one. I always love having you on the podcast. So please come back again soon and keep writing awesome articles for us to read. Thank you. I will do my best. All right, guys, I hope that was as much fun for you guys as it was for us and that, you know, maybe there were some things in there that you could relate to. Thanks again, Dr. Varble, for joining me. It's always a blast. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. 
feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.